Welcome to The Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and today I have a special guest, Rabbi Abraham Schachter. Welcome, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Rabbi, I want to talk, first of all, about why I asked you to be on the program, and I'm really excited. Uh, back in the early days, all the way back in March, I had Rabbi Jeremy Simons on the program, and his program turned out to be one of the, the best and most popular programs that I've done, and I think it was not only his presentation, but the topic. We talked about spiritual uh, medicine, you know, what it is and how do you do it. And I think people are really interested in that. You know, there's mind-body medicine and there's spiritual medicine. And you are currently the director of spiritual care, right, mm -hmm. at the uh, Memphis Jewish Home and Rehabilitation Center here in Memphis, Tennessee, where, where I am uh, also, and also a board-certified chaplain. Now, I'm board certified in internal medicine, and I'm board certified in neurology, and, uh, but uh, I guess it never occurred to me to become a board certified chaplain. So I want you to talk about those things and how you deliver spiritual care and what it is and how you measure it. So uh, tell me, what are you doing now? Maybe let's start with that. Great, great. Thank you, uh, Dr. Wilner, for inviting me and being here. Um, I, Jer Rabbi Simons is a, a dear friend of mine, um, so I'm happy to um, kind of be in conversation with him. I had a chance to listen um, to your uh, conversation with him, too, um, so that was, that was really great. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. There's a lot a lot to talk about, a lot, a lot to say. Um, I think specifically, maybe I'll just give a little bit of introduction about myself um, and the work that I do here, and then maybe begin to answer um, the question about what does spiritual care look like? Um, so I, um, you can call me Aby. Um, I, um, there's a story behind that as well. Um, but I grew up in uh, the New York City area in Yonkers, New York, and lived there my entire life up until three years ago. Uh, when my wife and I moved to Memphis. Um, to kind of truncate the, the, the story, to make it a little bit shorter, I went to rabbinical school in New York, and it was there that I was first introduced to healthcare chaplaincy. Um, I was aware of chaplain's existence, whether it was in the military or on a, on a college campus, um, or just kind of the name of a chaplain, but I didn't really know what, um, what a hospital chaplain would look like or what is a chaplain doing in a healthcare setting? Um, so I had the opportunity um, through my rabbinical school training um, to participate in a, um, in a summer internship. Um, the terminology, because I might be throwing it around, is called clinical pastoral education. This is the um, nationwide kind of curriculum and standard, and we were talking about board certification before, um, but for chaplains. Um, and so a unit, which is usually 10 weeks, around 400 hours, and kind of combines this um, clinical side to it of me visiting um, patients, um, counseling, um, and then an educational aspect. You're in a group of peers, you have a supervisor, um, your peers are from various different backgrounds and faiths and race. Um, and so it is really a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And I did that first unit um, in the summer of, it was 2016. <clears throat> at Memorial Sloan Kettering um, Cancer Center in New York. And I was transformed um, by the work um, and really felt um, 
just enlivened and my soul was enriched by the work. Um, the impact that I could personally have, the stories that I was able to uh, come encounter with, the people that I, I was able to support was, it was amazing. I, I didn't know that a, a rabbi, a spiritual leader could do that kind of work and that that opportunity was available. Um, and so when I graduated rabbinical school and my wife, who's also a rabbi, we happened to, we moved to, we moved to Memphis. She's the rabbi of a congregation here in town. Um, the other stipulation was that we wanted to make sure that there was a residency uh, program, a residency for within the CPE um, um, curriculum. Um, and so there's a residency that exists at Methodist um, here in Memphis and also at the VA. Um, and so I, um, I did a year long residency at Methodist. Um, and again, found was very very drawn to the work um, and found it very um, gave me a lot of meaning um, and also feeling like I could make a difference in people's lives and so when that was finishing up the year-long residency um, through various connections here in the Jewish community I reached out to the Memphis Jewish home and rehab um, and pitched them what would it look like for a rabbi for a chaplain to exist on their staff they've been now around for more than 90 years um, but had never had a um, a full-time rabbi, a rabbi in residence, a chaplain, um, someone who's looking out for the residents, for the patients, for the families, and then also for the staff. Um, and um, I was blessed enough that um, the director here um, believed in my message, believed in my pitch, and hired me um, as a you know, full-time position. Um, and so I am here as the director of spiritual care. I'm now coming up in September. will be um, will be two years um, here at the Memphis Jewish Home and Rehab, or what I just what we call the home. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit in awe. I mean, a lot of what you said sounds like what you hear when a medical student is applying to become a physician and they write in their essay that they, they want to make a difference in people's mm -hmm. lives, particularly people who are, you know, challenged with uh, illness. And Memorial Sloan Kettering is, you know, famous for its uh, treatment of cancer patients but it probably has a <laughs> highest concentration of really sick people, you know, bed per bed. And, you know, I think most people would want to run in the other direction. You know, it's, it's scary and there's a lot of uh, misery. Uh, and to be able to offer uh, solace and help, uh, that's really a, a wonderful thing that you uh, found your uh, calling Thanks. So it, what, what you said is in terms of being drawn um, to this type of work and being in a place of, of suffering. And so I would say that is uh, particularly where, uh, where a chaplain's role, um, where a spiritual care provider's role um, comes, comes kind of best into contact. Um, there is a really beautiful quote from Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen. Um, she is a physician um, and wrote, um, she wrote a book that I have here in my office. Kitchen table wisdom. She's really, really a fantastic woman. Oh, I think I've heard um, of that. Yeah, and so one of her quotes, I'm not sure if it's from this book or not, but it's, we thought we could cure everything, but it turns out we can only cure a small amount of human suffering. The rest of it needs to be healed, and that's different. Um, and so I think of that when I think of, as you were saying, in terms of Sloan Kettering and cancer, but I think of that with all of the people that we interact with, um, especially within healthcare settings, um, there is a push um, for cure, a push for we can solve this. Um, and in many cases, hopefully with, um, with the kind of advancement of technology, we can do a whole lot. 
we can do a whole lot. But as um, Dr. Remen reminds us, um, there's also healing that needs to be happening. Um, and healing is something that we cannot, you know, we cannot cure, um, I would say, suffering. Um, and suffering is something that is existential, something that's larger, um, whether it's a sense of loneliness, um, if you are a person of faith, whether that's um, talking about your relationship with God um, or some type of larger spiritual being or presence, um, if it's about your relationships with your family, if it's a sense of meaning, these are things that medicine, um, quote unquote, cannot cure. Um, these are kind of these lifelong struggles. And so um, to be able to step into those moments and allow people to help explore what they believe um, what they're thinking about and what they're hoping for um, can provide that type of healing that they're um, searching for. Well, let me give you an example. I, I want a pragmatic sort of, I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. So a year ago, I was shaving and I noticed I had a lump under my uh, jaw. Well, you know, I'm a physician. So the first rule is just ignore it. So I ignored it for a while. A couple of weeks later, you know, every day I notice it, it's not going away. So I looked up what causes a lump under the jaw and it was all bad things. Uh, so uh, I went to the doctor and for a two month period, because it took about two months to sort of go through all the steps, uh, it was being investigated and I was uh, sort of reassessing my uh, mortality. So, um, Luckily, the, you know, the diagnosis turned out to be nothing. So it was great. But suppose the diagnosis it was some, okay, you've got cancer of the neck, you know, and I go, Rabbi, you know, how can you help me? How would you help me? Well, first, I would, first, I want to just um, commend you for opening up like that. Um, this is now a public forum. And this isn't something it's not, it's not comfortable to talk about these types of things. That is um, true. I would, so I would say, um, one, a, um, we say in Hebrew, a yasher koach, kind of a a strength to you that um, that you're willing to even bring this up. Um, this is a this is a public forum. That's the first step. No one no one wants to talk about that, as you mm. even said. Um, so just you, talking you is, is you noticed it and and you ignored it because we always ignore things. That's that's our tendency as human beings. Why, especially back to the why would you even want to step into this? Why would you ever want to contemplate um, suffering? Why would you want to contemplate your own mortality? Um, I would say that it, um, it's perhaps in those moments of suffering um, or those moments of kind of contemplating um, something of maybe a little bit scary or larger that you actually come into contact with what matters to you. Mm. Um, but maybe that's an aside for another, um, maybe the follow-up question. I mean, I would, I would approach you. Well, first, you, would, you, you approached me. Right. You approached me in this conversation. And so you said, hey, I've been noticing something that's going on, you know, a lump in my neck. Um, there's a couple of kind of general guidelines for chaplains or spiritual caregivers. Um, one is the, the acronym that I learned from a teacher of mine, Dr. Michelle Friedman in rabbinical school. Um, it's called wait. Why am I talking? Mm. And so. I don't say I don't think I have a particular script of what I would say. I probably might ask Dr. Wilner, how are you feeling about that? No, it's why am I talking to you about it? 
or why are you, or why are you Sorry, let me be a little me? bit more specific well you could uh, take in that way the way that this teacher meant in terms of the rabbi or the spiritual caregiver's presence is often often we think when we're in a conversation that's difficult we need to be the ones the ones who are listening to take up the space mm. um, what am i going to say to dr wilner to cure him to help him feel better um wait why am i talking He's the one who needs to be doing the talking. So I would probably start by asking you, how, how are you feeling? So listening is a big part of your role. Is, is that? And uh, when I was speaking with Jeremy Simons, he talked about, and you alluded to this, that, that just that when he walks into the room, some people want to talk and some people don't. So step one is, okay, you know, do you want to even talk about it? But once you do, then a big part of your role is listening mm -hmm. and what else? Okay, so I'm... So Tell I mean, you that I'm scared to death. <laughs> How's that? Now what? What does it feel like to be scared to death? Hmm. I think one of the keys, and we're obviously not going to have this real life conversation in the podcast, but I just want to offer it, is that I can, I can help guide you, but I think what's important if we're thinking about the image is that I don't know where we're going. Um, I think one of the keys to empathy um, is a sense of not, I'll say a sense of not knowing. What do I mean by that? When I say not knowing, it's not assuming. Um, if, if I hear that you have a lump in your neck, maybe my own assumptions is, oh my God, he's so, he's afraid, he's worried about his future, his job, his wife, I know he has a, a child um, that's a little bit younger, what are they going to do? I'll, so these are all things that I might imagine that you might be concerned with, but I don't know. Mm. I really don't know. Um, this, the case comes up all the time, um, especially here in my work um, within a nursing home, when a loved one dies, let's say a, um, a parent of yours dies, and they've been, unfortunately, um, suffering from Alzheimer's for five years, for a decade. Um, and I think the assumption might be, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that your father, your mother passed away. When, in fact, the person could say, you know what, I'm actually re really relieved that they're mm. gone. It's been so many years of going back and forth and being with them um, and being honestly tired and worn out and frustrated. And as much as I love them, moments where I am so angry. And so I am so glad that they're gone. And so the key there in terms of the encounter with the rabbi, or I'll just call him the chaplain, um, is curiosity. I would call it emotional curiosity. I do not know. So what, what does it feel like to have that lump? Um, what does it mean to feel that your fear of death? What, what are you hoping for in your life? Well, I'm sorry I brought it up, <laughs> Rabbi. Exactly. I no. didn't realize this was going to be so complicated. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah I, I mean, and I, yeah, and I, I mean it playfully, but also. In, yeah, in no, it's real. Because the power of simply pausing. Power of pausing, I like that. Silence. How often do we spend our lives talking? And when there's quiet, talking some more because we're so fearful of what might happen when we let either ourselves be quiet and whatever feelings might come up for us or someone else. Oh no. What, you know, um, I mean, you know, you're thinking about this encounter with me and you theoretically, what would I say? I might not say anything. 
All right, Rabbi, we only have, I'm going to interrupt. We only have two minutes left, and I got one burning question, outcomes. I mean, you go to work every day like everybody else. You know, you got to get dressed. You don't wear a tie, but, you know, you're professional, and you go there, and it's going to be a long day. How, how, do you, how do you measure outcomes? You know, that's big in medicine. How do you, how do you know if you did anything? Yeah, no, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, um, especially for chaplains in healthcare settings where um, the desire, which rightfully so, is around data and science. Um, we, we hire nurses or we hire doctors because we have proven outcomes that what they provide um, will, help the, um, will help the individual. Um, I would say from my end, there is a growing now um, kind of scholarship around chaplaincy. And I'm happy to share at some other point kind of these studies, but the studies show um, that when someone has had an encounter with a chaplain, um, their abilities to cope, their stress or anxiety levels are, so their ability to cope is greater um, with whatever might be happening. Their stress or anxiety levels are lowered. Um, their sense of an inner strength is gained and fortified. Um, and so I think that's already being proven by these kind of, you know, this, this data. I think for myself, what I see um, is, I would say, both verbal and nonverbal. Um, so much of communication, as we were just talking about, is nonverbal. Um, and so you will know as a physician, and our listeners will know if they're in the, in the rooms with patients, um, how someone looks. Are they, are they giving you eye contact? Are they not? Um, what does their face look like? How are they talking? Um, and so I can tell a difference when I've entered into a room and when I leave, how the person is. Um, are they breathing a little bit more gently or um, kind of comfortably? Um, do they then moving to the verbal piece? Do they do they do they express some type of gratitude? Do, does it feel like they have um, started to mention something that's important to them and begun to think about it? Um, I think something that's important in the chaplaincy world, um, which is different than um, a doctor, is that I'm not after one visit. I haven't solved the problem. Um, I haven't solved the fact that we're all human beings and we're going to die. Um, that's actually going to exist forever. Um, but perhaps we, in our encounter, we've begun to think about that. Um, they've begun to think about what matters to them, what sources of hope that they have. Um, that's great. Rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Schachter, I want to thank you very much for uh, sharing your insights. I wish we had another another day or two to <laughs> continue this discussion. Maybe we'll have a part two somewhere along the line. I would be very grateful uh, for that. But uh, right now uh, we're out of time. I want to thank everybody for listening and remind the listeners that this program is available on YouTube if you're watching. It's also available on your favorite podcast player as an audio only uh, show. So thank you very much. Uh, for uh, hopefully enjoying this program. And in two weeks, I can guarantee there will be another exciting and interesting guest. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you so much.